Hey, Crosspoint, it's great to see you today. You know, when Leslie and I lived in Florida, we were never sure when the forecaster would say that a tropical storm or a hurricane was on the way. We were never sure whether that storm was going to be a big deal or not. So many times the forecasters would talk about what was possible. But as you and I know, when they talk about that, what's possible rarely ever happens the way they say it's going to happen. Even then, a big storm like that, especially when the arrival is a week out or days out, <clears throat> it can impact hundreds, even thousands of square miles in everyone that lives in that cone of probability, so to speak. So uh, what ends up happening is that what is a big deal to some people isn't really a big deal to other people. And I think that's the same thing that happens when Jesus comes up, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. To some people, Jesus is a really big deal because of their experience and their understanding. And to others, because of their experience and their understanding, Jesus just isn't a big deal. The Bible is full of stories about people who struggled with Jesus. Many of the books of the Bible, they're actually letters, were written by people who knew that Jesus was a big deal to people who weren't sure whether Jesus was a big deal. Some letters are written uh, to people who knew that Jesus was a big deal, but were having a hard time trying to figure out how they live knowing that Jesus is a big deal. What does that really mean for the way that they live their lives? The book of Colossians is one of those books, a letter actually. It was written by a man named Paul to people who knew that Jesus was a big deal living in the ancient Greek city of Colossae. As I said, there are a bunch of people who knew that Jesus was a big deal. They had found him. They were following him. But they also lived next door and worked with people who didn't believe that Jesus was a big deal. And it's not that they just didn't believe it. They were saying that what they believed, people who followed Jesus, wasn't true. That Jesus isn't who you say he is. And that Jesus can't do what you say he can do. I just think it's kind of funny. 2,000 years ago, there are people living in a city who had found out about Jesus and, and, and are now following him because he has completely changed their lives. It's huge. It's important. It's the most important thing that's ever happened to them. And then someone walks up and says, what are you talking about? Jesus isn't who you say he is. He can't do what you say he can do. I guess what I'm saying is that things really haven't changed a whole lot, have they? The point I'm getting at is that people still wrestle with who Jesus is and what Jesus did. People still struggle with whether Jesus is the most important person who ever lived or Jesus is just another person. Paul may have written this letter to people in the first century, but you and I who are living in the 21st century are reading it for the same reason, to be reminded that Jesus really is a big deal. In this letter that Paul writes in the very beginning, he has one of the most eloquent and powerful declarations of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. <clears throat> uh, there are two parts to this declaration. 
And I'm going to share that with you today. Paul, writing to the church that says that Jesus is a big deal. And here is why. Listen to what he says. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. These claims about Jesus that Paul's writing here, they aren't just incredible. They're almost incomprehensible. But Paul writes these things to remind us and even answer those skeptics that Jesus isn't just another man. He really is a big deal. And one of the reasons that he's a big deal is because he showed himself. Verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of, of the invisible God. What Paul is saying is that Jesus and God are the same, except you can see Jesus and you can't see God. Paul is answering the charge that Jesus isn't who you say he is. Some who really don't believe Jesus think that he's really the polar opposite of a big deal. He's just Another man, he's inconsequential. And by saying that, what they're really trying to say is that Jesus doesn't have the power that you say he has. And if he doesn't have the power, he doesn't have the ability that you say he has. He can't help you. He can't change you. As I said, Paul is making these claims, and when you read them or you hear them, they really do sound incredible. And whether it's the first century or the 21st century, people want proof. And in the 21st century, that proof usually is scientific proof. In the world that we now live in, we've heard a lot about science these last few months and more than a year now. We've heard things that we needed to hear, things that we didn't want to hear. We've heard things that We are relying on now, and we have heard a whole bunch of things that many are questioning now. Science seems to have made a problem for itself because sometimes there are people who are scientific and they say one thing, and there are other people who are scientific and say the exact opposite thing. And we struggle with all of this the same way that we struggle with things that are said about Jesus. We do. We've come so far, though, in our understanding, our knowledge, that Uh, This is why we struggle, because we expect to be able to know everything now, to do anything now, because we know so much. And when someone who is scientific says, I don't know, when someone who is scientific says, we can't do that, we're like, what do you mean we can't? Isn't there somebody to figure this out? Isn't there someone who's smart, someone scientific who knows how to make that happen, knows how to stop that from happening, knows how to fix all of this? It's unacceptable when someone says, we can't, we don't know. 
Years ago, I served a church in Florida where there was a woman who attended, and when I met her, she was over 100 years old. Over 100 years old. She was born in the last year of the 19th century. That's 1899. As a little girl, the most common means of transportation in her world was the horse. And the most technologically advanced mode of transportation was the steam engine locomotive. We, uh, we would stand in the church parking lot at times, a whole bunch of us, and we could see the space shuttle take off on another mission. And when we would, it, it's just another mission into space. So I shared with that 100-year-old woman one time that her lifespan had covered the technology from the horse to the space shuttle. It was fascinating. And when I shared that with her, she just kind of laughed. And then she said this one time, I guess there's nothing that we can't do. A year later, she died. So I guess there are some things that we still can't do. Some things that we still don't know. There are limits to our ability and our understanding. Yeah, but Shan, there really are a lot of things that we've come to know. We've come so far in the last couple of decades even In fact, science is advancing faster than we can keep up. I know, I know. And for all of our ability, for all of our knowledge, for all of our understanding, we still can't figure out how to stop someone from lying to us. We can travel to the bottom of the ocean. We can go to the dark side of the moon. We can operate on a baby inside a mother's womb. And for crying out loud, I've got a phone that will send me 14 ads about something that Leslie and I were talking to each other while we were in the car, and yet we still can't figure out how to stop someone from hating somebody else. We can make a vaccine to keep us from getting sick, but there's no vaccine to keep us from sinning. Science really does want to answer the questions of what, where, when, how, and even who. But do you know the biggest question that science struggles with? Why? Why am I worrying so much? What am I worrying about? Why do I do the things that are going to destroy my life, ruin my family? Why do I do those things? Why can't I forget what happened? What is it that makes me bring those things back into my mind? Why is the world so full of people who hate each other? Why can't we live together in peace? One of the reasons I think Paul wrote what he did when he was writing to that church in Colossae is to remind us that God is the reason that we have purpose in this world. 
There are a lot of good people who have done some really good things, things that help people, things that heal people. But why do those good things? Why do them? What's the reason? God is the reason. That's the reason why we do those good things. It's God, not each other, but God who has called us to help one another, to heal one another. It's God who tells us not to hate each other, but to love one another. Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, came to show us how to do those things. That's why he's here. Now, can you and I who follow Jesus do a better job of following Jesus? You better believe that we can. Because in doing a better job of following Jesus, we show the power that he has in our lives. And in showing the power that he has in our lives, uh, we can show that that same power can make a difference in someone else's life. If we say that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, do our lives show it? There's a question. Jesus is a big deal because he showed us who God is. But Paul doesn't stop there. He adds to the reason of why Jesus is a big deal. He answered the charge in, those first, in that first section of verses that Jesus isn't who you say he is. And now I want to show you that Paul answers the charge that Jesus isn't what you say he is. Listen to what Paul says. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven. Peace with everything on heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you've received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Because Jesus has the power he says he is, this is Paul writing, because Jesus has the power that he says he has, he has the ability to do what he says he was going to do. Jesus is a big deal because he sacrificed himself for you and me. Verse 22 says, he reconciled you through his own death. What does reconcile mean? When you hear that word, what does it mean? By forgiving our sins, my sin, your sin, he has reconciled us. He's restored us. And he says uh, in verse 22 that having been forgiven, we are holy and blameless. And you and I stand before him without a single fault. Again, what does that reconciliation mean to you? What does it mean to be restored to God? 
Probably the most common way that you and I hear that word is when we start talking about our bank accounts, our bank statements. To reconcile a bank statement is to make sure that what the paper says is equal to what is actually in the account. That's really what that means. <clears throat> and that's why it kind of makes sense talking about what God did for us. What Jesus came to do for us. But the meaning is so much deeper. And actually it's a whole lot more desperate. Were you comfortable? I'm just wondering. When I was reading that section of scripture. And you heard the word enemies. Were you comfortable with that? Did that make you. Wait, wait. What, what do you mean? I'm an enemy. Does it uh, make you wonder. Or even worry. Who you are an enemy to. Or who is an enemy uh, for you. That's what sin does. Sin separates you from God. It separates you from me and me from you and me from God. Because when we have our sin, we're apart from God. Now, I know that this whole, this whole part of the conversation may make us uncomfortable, but we're not unfamiliar with this at all. It shouldn't be a surprise to you and me. When someone hurts you, when they lie to you, when they do something painful to you, you don't look upon them as a friend, do you? I didn't think so. Now, you might not want to use the word enemy, but I'll bet you're, you're thinking it. Shan, that really is a strong word, even though you explained it that way. It, it, it's still a strong word. I'm not sure I ever really want to think of someone as my enemy. Have you and I been paying attention to what's going on? Have you watched even a few seconds of, of a recent newscast? Do you read anything online? I know that you do. I'm trying not to be condescending. I'm just showing you the reality of the world that we live in. Just last week, a national news anchor said that she was going to find it really hard to not think of someone who isn't wearing a mask in public as a threat. A threat. That's what we think of each other when we just don't agree, when we have a different opinion. What do we think of someone when they've done something that's really wrong? That's really bad. That's impacted my life. That's impacted your life. Our sin hurts each other. Our sin hurts hurts God. Our sin separates you from me and me from you and us from God. But God didn't want for it to stay that way. He didn't want for us to suffer and be alone, for us to be separated from each other and from God. That's why he sent Jesus to reconcile us back together. This is a really big deal. The freedom that you and I are wanting to no longer be held down by our sin, the, the, the guilt of it, the hope that we can have to be restored, to be reconciled with God and with each other. It can now happen because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. This is a really big deal. Because of Jesus, you can be a friend of God.
Now, there are people, there are people then in the first century, and there are people now in the 21st century who say that Jesus really isn't that big of a deal. But when you realize who Jesus is, and when you realize what Jesus did, you want to have the freedom that he can bring. You want to be restored with God and with each other. It's a big deal, isn't it? The picture that I want to show you now is a picture of firefighters headed to the towers on 9-11. We have constructed monuments to their valor and their sacrifice. It's a big deal. This next picture is from last week. It's police officers on a campus in North Carolina who are running to an active shooter scene while the students on the other side of that picture are trying to run away. We are grateful for and are thankful for the sacrifice that police officers do for us every single day. Every day. It's a really big deal. This next picture is of nurses who for the last number of weeks and months have been working with and close to a virus that everyone else is telling us to stay away from. We have gone to such lengths that we have lost businesses, stayed away from family to keep away from this virus. And those blessed, wonderful, diligent, sacrificial people have protected us by putting themselves in one of the most dangerous spots that they can. It's a really big deal. And this final picture is of the cross. Where one man hung. Because you and I can't figure out how to stop hating each other. Because you and I can't figure out when it is a good time to tell the truth. Because you and I can't figure out how to stop doing the very things that we know are going to bring tremendous damage and ruin to our lives. And because God loves us so much, He decided to let His Son pay the penalty for our mistakes, our foolishness, our sin on the cross. I want you to know it's a really big deal. God, thank you so much for loving us when we have shown ourselves to not be very lovable. Thank you so much for forgiving ourselves, forgiving us when we ourselves just keep on doing the same things over and over again. God, we're so grateful that what you did for us, 
was exactly what we needed. We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for the forgiveness that comes through him. We're so grateful for the mercy that comes through him. God, this is a big deal. Help us to be patient with others who are still trying to figure it out. God, be patient with us while we know it and sometimes don't live it. God, we're so grateful for what you've done. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.